Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is the Friday follow-up episode for episode number 246. I'm your host, Bob Ruff. And I'm your co-host, Mike Bussing. And we are reaching the point where we are about to wrap up 2016. Just as a bit of housekeeping, the episode that you're going to hear two days from now on Sunday will be the last full main episode of Truth and Justice in 2016. We will not be releasing an episode on Christmas Day. There will, however, be one more follow-up episode next week. We will be taking calls for the follow-up to episode 247 next Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as usual. And that follow-up episode will be the last Truth and Justice episode of 2016. And as far as this Sunday's episode goes... We still have no idea what's happening. Right, exactly. So for those of you that follow along on social media, you would have seen on Wednesday afternoon that I posted a tweet and a Facebook post that I received an email back today, we're recording this on Wednesday, from Philip Smith of the Smith County DA's office. Philip has confirmed to me in this email that our open records request documentation and photos and everything we've asked for is in the mail. The problem is I don't know when he mailed it. We were hoping that we would get it today, but no such luck. We had been promised that it would be mailed no later than Friday of last week or Monday of this week. If they stuck to that, I would expect it then tomorrow in the mail, which is Thursday, the day before you're hearing this episode. And what that means for all of you, and really for us too, is we still don't know what Sunday's episode is going to be. There's a particular document contained in that open record request that I want to cover in Sunday's episode. The problem is we don't know if we're going to have it in time. So at this point, we're planning one of two things. Sunday's episode is either going to be a year-end recap of the 2016 season of Truth and Justice, or it's going to be a continuation of the investigation to the murder of Elmora Griffin with some of the documents from the open record request. And unfortunately, we won't know which it's going to be probably until Thursday evening. But for right now, we want to move on with today's Friday follow-up episode and get into your questions about episode 246. Okay, Chief, we're going to start with emails today. All right, sounds good. Okay, this first email comes from Shane Moore. Shane Moore writes, 
I think the reason they arrested Ed before running and more importantly collecting DNA is because they could not find a judge to issue a subpoena for the DNA samples given the non-existent case that they had against Edward. They were, however, able to find a judge that would issue an arrest warrant. Once Ed was in jail, they no longer needed a subpoena to collect his hair and other DNA samples. Anyway, just my theory. Thanks for all you do. All right, thanks for that, Shane. Uh, And actually, they did need a warrant to obtain Ed's DNA and hair samples. Now, I can't pretend to know the ins and outs of the law as far as this is concerned, but I do know that it was actually stressed at trial that they had to get a warrant in order to get those samples even after Ed was arrested. During the trial testimony, Dobbs made a big deal about pointing out that Leonard Mosley gave his samples voluntarily, but they had to get a warrant for Ed's samples. Which, by the way, for the record, Ed never denied giving these samples. He never told them he wouldn't do it. When they said they had to get a warrant, the reality is they just got a warrant. The first Ed knew about them wanting samples from him is when they presented him with the warrant and took him to the hospital to get the samples. And keep in mind that just because somebody's arrested does not mean that they're guilty. Your rights do not change just because you've been arrested. So really, as far as a judge issuing a warrant for those samples, it was no different the day before or the day after he got arrested. Okay. We've got another email here, Chief. It's from Aaron D. Aaron has two points here, and they're really good, so I want to cover both of them if you don't mind. Okay, let's do it. All right. She writes, Hi, Bob and Mike. I just listened to episode 246 and have a couple thoughts. Point number one. Regarding the late-night church, I just want to say that it may not be that unusual for a black church to have a weeknight service that goes very late. I've never been a member of a black church, but I did used to attend a very charismatic, multicultural church with a similar culture, and it was not uncommon at all for our Thursday night service to go well past 11 p.m., sometimes close to midnight. In that church culture, the service is a big experience, and it can often have the feel of a party that no one wants to end. Okay, let me go ahead and address that point before we move on to the second one. That's a really good point, Aaron. I don't know if you caught in the last episode that I said I was trying to track down to figure out if there were any revivals or anything going on at that time. I've asked Kubia and Johnny and Margie about some of the churches in the area that they're familiar with, if they knew about any revivals or anything that was happening right about the time of the murder. And of course, they don't really remember. And the reason I was asking about revivals is because based on what they had told me, the churches that they were familiar with had Sunday services maybe a Tuesday Bible study, sometimes a Thursday, but no one was aware of any Friday night services. However, a lot of churches, it's not just a, a, quote, black church thing, but a lot of churches, the church I used to attend, once or twice a year we would have a revival where an evangelist would come into town and we'd have service every single night for a week or two. And you're exactly right, those services may go late into the night. The issue here is simply that I have no confirmation of that. I don't know which church he was going to. It's not documented in any of the reports that we have. And I don't know if that church did have a Friday night service that night and if that service went on till well past midnight. So we can't really come to any conclusions about that. It's just, it's a possibility. It's just one of those things that seems strange to me, but doesn't really mean a whole lot. But it just seems strange that he'd be coming home from church service at 1230 at night on a Friday night. But we can't say that that's not possible. All right, she makes a really good second point here, and I think a lot of people are kind of wondering the same thing. So she writes, How did Leonard know Elnora was choked? I think that one could be an easy one. Listening to Truth and Justice. Didn't he also say something about the feces on the floor and how that's how he knew she had been choked? I feel like he knew several things about the case that he could have easily gotten if he'd been listening to your podcast before he talked to you. Oh, I think you could be exactly right. He could have gotten that information from listening to the show. 
But it's not just that one thing. It's it's a preponderance of all of these things. So yes, Leonard could have figured out that she was choked through the podcast if he had been listening. We have no way of knowing whether he was or not. But it wasn't just that he was saying that she was choked. It was also the fact that he was telling me that he had no idea she was strangled. So it's a lot like the evidence. Once you can figure out and prove that someone is a known liar, and they're willing to lie in Dale Huckel's case in a police report, and in Leonard Mosley's case just to my face, it makes everything else they say suspect. So it seems almost implausible at this point that Leonard did not know that Elnor's throat was slit. It was all over the newspapers, it was in the news, Johnny knew, Kubian knew, everyone surrounding the case knew her throat was slit. And Leonard claimed to not know that information. So once we know that, for me it makes it difficult to believe anything else that he told me. Because at this point, it looks a lot like he's a liar. And as far as him hearing about it on the show, he may have. But I don't think that it's possible for him to have listened to the show and heard that she was choked and not heard that her throat was cut. And furthermore, I've never ever said that she was choked to death, as he put it. We've just discussed that the medical examiner's opinion, based on the petechia and the feces, was that someone did attempt to strangle her. And for that matter, if you just look on the website, which I would think would be the first place he would probably go if he was to Google me, he would land on the truthandjusticepod.com website, and at the top of the page is a picture of Elnora, and it gives all the case information where it says her throat was cut. And Chief, while we're on the topic here, I've got a couple points I want to bring up to you really quick. Okay. Um, I was wondering, when you went and you interviewed Leonard, you were just, you know, some guy off the street he'd never seen before, theoretically. I guess what I'm trying to do is put myself in his shoes and ask, who were you to Leonard? And how would he know who you are and about the podcast? Well, there's no way that I can say for sure if Leonard knew who I was. I had visited Francis Johnson's brother, Michael, and gave him my business card, which has all of the information about the podcast on it, the website. It even has the cover art from the podcast on it, which, as you know, is a picture of me. Leonard said that he had talked to Michael, and Michael had told him that I was looking for him. So it's possible Leonard would have seen the card and known exactly who I was and what the podcast was that way. If that didn't happen, then I don't think he would have any way of knowing exactly who I was. When I approached him, my exact words to him were, I'm a journalist and I'm working on a story about crimes in Smith County in the 90s. I didn't tell him my name or the name of the show or anything, just that I was a journalist. And it wasn't until I was leaving when he asked what my name was, and then all I told him was my name was Bob. So a couple of things could have been happening here. It could have been he really had no idea who I was, doesn't know anything about the podcast. He just knew from Francis's brother, Michael, that I was asking questions and that I possibly thought he was involved in the murder. Or the other possibility is that he did know who I was and he does know about the podcast. And if that's the case, then his behavior becomes even more suspicious. If he was completely innocent and had nothing to do with the crime, which I do want to clarify here because of the last couple of episodes we've really been focusing in on Leonard and Angela. And I don't want anybody to think that I have some kind of tunnel vision or that I'm convinced they did it or one or the other did it. I don't. We're still investigating with an open mind and waiting on this record request. I've got a few more people that I want to interview. There's still a lot left to do in this case. I have not come to any determination whatsoever. And I'm not in any way saying that Leonard Mosley or Angela Walker were involved. We're focusing on them right now because that's the direction the investigation has led us right now. But with that being said, if Leonard did know who I was, and he does know about the podcast, and he has listened to it, having that information and then trying to pretend that he doesn't know who I am, 
and doesn't know about the podcast and doesn't know about the cause of death, all of that becomes very suspect to me. It's concerning to say the least. Why would he go through all that and play all those games if he was innocent? I would think he would just say something along the lines of, oh, you're that guy doing the podcast about the case, and either not talk to me or just tell me the truth about what he knows. So I guess in a nutshell, to get back to Aaron's question, it is possible that he knew that Elnora was attempted to be strangled because of the podcast, but we have no way of knowing if that's the case or not, and if it is, it just opens up a whole nother line of questioning. Okay, well that answered that, so now we're going to move on to Facebook and Twitter. This Facebook post is from Samantha Carr. Samantha wrote kind of a long post here, but she wants to know more about Leonard Mosley's past regarding domestic violence. Were there any other incidents that you were aware of? Yeah, there was quite a list, actually, when I pulled up the open records request with Smith County Sheriff's Department. Unfortunately, we didn't have full reports or narratives on all the cases, but if memory serves, there was either nine or ten different incidents at his address. There was a couple of robberies and burglaries. It looks like his car or truck was broken into. But the majority of them were domestic violence, assault, assault with a deadly weapon. One of them, I believe, even was a child abduction. But I think that there was a narrative for that one. And it sounded like his ex-wife's daughter had gone missing, but it really had nothing to do with Leonard. So I didn't get into full detail on a lot of them because I didn't have enough information to do so. That one that I read on the air this week was the only incident that had a full narrative that really painted a picture of exactly what had happened. And I believe in her question, too, she was asking about if he had any incidents with Angela Walker. I did not see anything in the records request that we got regarding Angela Walker. However, the records keeper for the Smith County Sheriff's Department was not sure how far back the electronic system went. So he's still searching for me through hard files if there were any other incidents back in 93 when he was dating Angela Walker. Because remember, my initial reason for the request was to find out if that call that Angela Walker made or said she made on the night before the murder actually happened. It did not come up in the system, but neither did anything else before 1997. So if the online records only go back to 1997, then there wouldn't be anything in there about Angela. Because he was dating her quite a while before they started putting all the records into electronic form. Sure. Okay, Chief, moving on to Twitter. This one's from Kay Lee. Kay Lee has two questions, and I want to ask both. Question number one, did they ever report in the paper, news, etc., about Elnora's injuries post-trial? No, I don't believe they did. What I'd asked the librarian to do that Tabitha from Tyler went and assisted her with was to look for all newspaper articles regarding Elnora's murder and Ed's conviction. And so they went through their files all the way from back in 93 when her body was initially found, all the way up until the day after the trial where we have the one article. If you've been on the website in the case documents, you'll see there's the article from the front page of the newspaper the day after Ed was convicted. It's my understanding from the librarian that that was the end of the reporting on this case. And keep in mind, when Ed was convicted, at this point, they're writing a newspaper article about a murder that happened way out in Jackson Heights five years before that. So really, that's all the coverage it got back in 1998 when Ed was finally convicted was just one article stating that he was convicted. It gave some details of the crime to refresh their memory. Basically, they were saying, remember five years ago when that woman was found with her throat slashed out on Highway 31? The man who committed the murder has now been convicted. And that was pretty much the extent of it. And as you heard me read on the show last week, in that article, it did clearly state twice, I believe, that her throat was slashed, nothing about her being choked. Okay, and her second question was, was the assault on the ex, Mrs. Mosley, before or after Elnora's murder? And was Angela still in the picture at that time? 
it was well after the assault on his ex-wife happened in 2001, I believe, and he was dating Angela in 93. As far as whether or not Angela and Leonard were still involved at that point, I don't believe so because at trial in 98, Angela testified that they were not together, but that they were still friendly. So I assume, unless they got back together again, that no, in 2001, Angela was not in the picture anymore. Okay, Chief, that wraps things up with email, Facebook, and Twitter. All right, I'm on the air with Tracy from Baltimore. How you doing tonight, Tracy? I'm doing great. How are you, Bob? I'm doing really well. So Mike tells me you have a bunch of Leonard questions. I do. All right, let's hear them. <laughs> and my first comment is that he said during the interview every Thursday 13 times. Then he said he called all day Thursday three times. And he started calling in the morning, which makes no sense because she wasn't getting off work until 3, 3.30. Right. He also said he didn't leave a message. So why, if there was an answering machine and he left a message saying he was coming, why weren't there messages on the answering machine saying he was not coming? Right. Seems a little suspicious, huh? Yeah, it's definitely suspicious. My other thing was that you had said about somebody putting themselves in the crime scene if they may be culpable. He had said during your interview that he called two to three times a week to the police to find out if there was any new information or anything he could do. That's right. And I just thought like, that was interjecting himself into the crime. The last thing I found interesting was that he stated that Elnora suspected that he was cheating and he, she confronted him about it. Uh-huh. He deflected it from Angela to Marjorie, who he knew already had a criminal record. So he was taking it off Angela on to Marjorie. Right. He said, I should have killed her then because she killed my brother. Who says that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I get the, if somebody killed my brother, I, I guess I could, I could see that anger, but it, it doesn't sound like that's actually what happened by right. all accounts other than him, including Angela's, was that his brother shot his brother and killed him, but they right. blamed it on, on Margie. Um, but, but getting back to your point about the uh, interjecting themselves in the investigation, like you said, it's more than just showing up on the crime scene. People will tend to, or, or offenders will tend to, try to stay as close to the investigation sometimes as possible to either give any misdirection or... Do they know anything about me? Right. Could it be possible that, you, you know, so you're going to want to keep updated on the information. Right. And with, with and in Leonard's case, you know, I, I, I mentioned already in the part that was already recorded when we were answering emails that I'm not saying that Leonard is the person that did it by any means. And all right. of these things are, right. are simply circumstantial. We're not ending with just looking at Leonard. We're just right now, you know, the way we work, we gather evidence, we investigate, and we go where the investigation takes us. And right now, it seems like every rock that we uncover seems to point in that direction. So that's the direction we're going right. currently. Well, it, w it would not be fair to Ed if you did not turn over every rock and every possibility. Exactly I mean, right. It wouldn't be fair. The only other thing I wanted to say was, oh, I'm looking at my notes, sorry. I'll take a sip of my beer while you do that. There you go. <laughs> when you brought up Francis Johnson and it was like, he wasn't strong enough. So it seemed like pumping up his ego by right. saying it would take a strong person to overcome her. And, you know, that culminating with a stupid person won't get away with this. Right. But almost felt like boasting if you will. Right. 
his statements were so extreme when you listen to them and really analyze them. Like Stan Burke said, it's one of two things. Either the guy's telling the truth, which is certainly a possibility, or he's an incredibly gifted liar. Uh, And at this point, we don't know which it is. Either he's a very honest guy or a very deceptive guy. Right. And that's where you have to take the pattern of behavior, right? Yep. Definitely all factors in. Well, all right. Hey, Tracy, it was great to hear from you. you. Have a good day. Have a great night. You too. Bye. Bye. All right. I'm on the air with Kate from Virginia. How are you doing tonight, Kate? I'm good, Bob. How are you? I'm doing really well. So Mike says you've got some Leonard choking questions. Literally all it says on my screen is Leonard choking. I don't know what that means. Uh, (laughs) What do you got? Wonderful. I was just curious. I knew you speculated in one of your episodes that since Leonard knew that Elnora was choked, if that meant that he was at the crime scene since that wasn't revealed in other places. But I was just curious if you thought that perhaps he had listened to the podcast or had been told by Francis's brother or somebody else who had, just since he seemed to, when he talked to him, have the sense that you or Allison from the Innocence Project or somebody else had been asking questions. He seemed to be a little ready for you. He did, and I, I covered this in quite a bit of detail in the first segment, but to follow up on that, I, we really don't know if he did know, and, and actually on the last call, I was just talking to Tracy from Baltimore, uh, and we were talking about how he, his statement is just so wacky that he either is lying or he's very he's either a very good liar or he's just being honest. What do you think? Sure. I mean, I would say I think the podcast is a pretty large reach, so I think that there is definitely a chance that he got word of things, or even that Angela potentially did as well in terms of the fingernail marks that, you know, it was possible that they have gotten word about all the work that you're doing, and that, you know, I suspect that if you knew somebody who was involved in a violent crime like that, somebody else would be listening to the podcast and want to loop you in on what was being said about that. Yeah, and part of the issue, the thing that was really threw up a red flag for me, and technically speaking, or in, I guess in, in reality, Leonard saying she was choked to death doesn't even necessarily mean he knows she was choked to death. It's just one of those sure. things that, you know, when something just catches your catches your attention, and it was literally in discussion with Mike as we were going over the case, and I was mm-hmm. I, when I was going through the articles, and I was reading them all, and I'm saying, there's no way. How could he not know she was her throat was slit? It's every single news article. Johnny knew, and Kubian knew, and everyone knew. How could he possibly not know that? And then all of a sudden, it clicked to me. It was like, oh, shit. What was never revealed was the fact that she was choked to mm-hmm. death. So that's what kind of just made the hairs in the back of my neck stand up a little bit. And then I coupled with it, like, with, with Angela... The fingernail scratches are really what uh, got my attention prior to because mm-hmm. that was never discussed on the podcast because I didn't know there were fingernail scratches. Okay. And that's because I had only read the record. You know, I'd seen the autopsy photos, but I'd never examined all the injuries. That's, you know, that's not what I do. I'm looking sure. at more about the crime scene and things than the actual injuries themselves. There's no way she knew about the fingernail scratches from the podcast because I didn't know about the fingernail scratches. She couldn't have known about the fingernail scratches from the trial because it was never said at trial that they were there. She couldn't have known. I mean, there's there's nowhere it's ever mentioned in the documentation that we have that there were fingernail scratches. So it's like, it's kind of like when you stack all these things on top of each other, then all of a sudden that statement about choking starts to look really fishy, you know? If, if it was only Absolutely. that in and of itself, then, okay, he could have heard it from the podcast. He could have not known anything about the choking. He was just saying that because that's what he thought, or he was just saying that because he was trying to show me that he didn't know what the actual cause of death was. You know, it could have been anything, but it's like, wait a minute. So Angela knew about fingernail scratches that no one else Mm -hmm. knew about. Leonard is going out of his way, as well as Angela, to try to put it on Margie after I had talked to Leonard 
And then there's the fact that maybe him saying that she she was choked to death didn't necessarily mean that he knew that she was choked, but certainly he had to know that her throat was slit and he lied about sure. that. So why was he so adamant about that in the conversations with you? Right. And then you add to that the fact that the defense investigator at trial testified and, and it was you had to like read between the lines because Dobbs kept shutting him down with objections uh, based on hearsay. Mm-hmm. But the defense investigator was testifying that he considered Mosley a suspect when he interviewed him because he said he knew details of the crime scene that were never released. He was describing things in the crime scene that he should not know. And then Leonard told him that that's because he has a suspect. And he would never say who it was, but he said there was a person that told him all those details. The person that he suspects actually did it. And that's where he got those details. So it's like you, you start to add all these things up together, and it, it starts to not look so good. Absolutely. Have you had a chance to speak with Johnny about her take on any of those? Uh, no, I mean, briefly a, a little while ago. I try not to get in too mm-hmm. much with Johnny. You know, she's she's very sweet, and she's always willing to talk to me, and she's invited me into her home a couple of times. And sure, she sounds like a lovely lady. She really is. And But, but I you know, I, I don't want to start getting into gory you know details with her and really starting to make, you know, I, I got the information out of her that I need. Absolutely. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you, Bob. That's very helpful. And thanks for all the great work you're doing. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for calling, Kate. Absolutely. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye. All right. I'm on the air with Chris from Texas. How you doing, Chris? Hey, what's going on, Bob? I'm doing pretty good, man. I have a sneaky suspicion. Is this Chris Brinkley? Yes, it is. I thought so. <laughs> hey, uh, so I'm totally going to email you back about that website thing. Okay. No, it's no big deal. <laughs> that, don't, don't worry about that at all. For you listeners, uh, Chris is is helping to redesign the website, and he's done some mock-ups for me, and they look great. And then I, I get really into it like one night on the computer, and then and then I forget. And then Chris is very patient, and he waits several weeks before he emails back and asks if I've looked at it again. Uh, so I'll get back with you, Chris. I promise. <laughs> okay, no problem. <laughs> so what's up, man? So my question for you is, after last, listening to this last episode and just kind of diving into not only the way that Leonard Mosley is acting, but then coming out with talking about where, you know, all this thing, these things that happened in the past with his, I think it was his ex-wife. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. You almost got to think, have you guys even tried to look into his background to see if he's got a connection to some of these people that you just, maybe we haven't really talked about yet that somebody's trying to protect him. It's almost like, how is this not, how has he not gone to jail yet? Yeah, well, I, I agree, and I, I mentioned earlier in the in the first segment today that there were several incidents that came up for his address. I just don't have all the details on all of them because in the police reports there weren't always narratives. But there was, I'd say, five or six of the of the incidents at his address from like '97 to today were domestic violence, assault, assault with a deadly weapon. There's a lot of that there, but so then. You're exactly right that there's a lot happening that I'm not talking about on the show. I mean, it is every stone unturned. So one thing I've looked and I found interesting was there's been all these police incidents out to Leonard's house. At one point, he was shooting at a man driving down the road. And in the narrative, it says that, oh, man, I was just firing my gun as a joke at him. So, you know, maybe it was a joke, whatever, weird joke. But what I've noticed is... That's not a joke to me. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Yeah, yeah. Not funny. (laughs) But what I've noticed is Leonard has no criminal history at all. 
he's never been arrested. Mm -hmm. He's never done any jail time. So digging deeper and digging deeper and digging deeper. And through the digging, well, one thing that I found is that uh, there was a point where uh, Detective Dale Huckel had, I don't want to get into the details of it, but a, a civil issue. And the attorney on record's name was Gordon Mosley. Now, I don't know for sure. I'm still trying to figure out if that's a family connection. It could be nothing. But when you're looking in every single possible direction and all of a sudden you see uh, the name Mosley pop up on Dale Huckel's background check, it starts to make you wonder. Yeah, and and that's what I was thinking. I mean, when I look in the episodes, I'm I'm just going like, man, there's this guy's got to be connected to these these guys, you know, because they, they seem to be so willing to roll over someone when it's easy. And it almost seems like this was the easy connection. I mean, this was her boyfriend. What you just like in, it's always the, the boyfriend, uh, right? The case with Heyman. Yeah. <laughs> with this with the case with Heyman Lee go after the boyfriend. Yet they went after this kid that had a small, the no, almost no connection at all to her. It's like, why? Yeah. You gotta, yeah, you, and that's why I had to ask the question is there's got to be some type of connection. I, I, who knows? It's a guess at best. Obviously, it's a theory. You probably have all the tools. You may have you may find something that that says I'm right. But it's just it's my hunch, my feeling that there's got to be something there that we haven't found yet. I always think, you know, keep it simple, stupid. So, you know, I'm a, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a conspiracy theorist at heart as, as it comes across. And so, you know, I, I you know, I, <laughs> I, I look at all that, but then sometimes I think when you really look at it, if you, if you, if you get outside of, you know, a grand, grandiose conspiracy like that and just consider the, the most simple explanation, which to be honest with you, I think is probably more likely is sheer laziness. You know, in Ed's case, they didn't just go like frame this innocent guy. The very first clue they had was Kubia saying, I called her last night, and she said she was sitting talking to Edward. They asked Edward, were you there? He says, no, that's a red flag. I don't fault him for that. If I was the, if I was the investigator, you bet your ass I'm bringing that guy in. But I'm taking him into an interrogation sure. room that's video and audio recorded. I'm, I'm going by the book. I'm checking everything and any other leads, any other suspects. I'm, I'm cross-checking everyone for injuries and blood and things like that. But there, there was a perfectly good reason for them to take Ed in for questioning, and I don't think anybody denies that. But that's that laziness, I think. If, if you look at it from that lens of laziness, that they have this guy, got a clue, he lied about his alibi. We're just sticking with that. And, and, and it goes to laziness and apathy. I don't think they give a shit what happens out in Jackson Heights because the people out in Jackson Heights mm-hmm. are all the African-American parts of the community. They're not the rich white folks inside the loop in Tyler. These are all yeah. of the, the lower class, not all of them. You know, I don't think Leonard is lower class. I mean, he's got a decent place, runs a business and all that. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to insult everybody that lives out there. Like they're all poor or something like that, but, but that's the black community is out there. And so I think that could also explain why they've had a million calls out to that area at Leonard's house and no formal charges were ever filed because they just don't give a shit. But the thing is with, with Elnora's case is that was high profile. You know, news reporters monitor scanners all night long. I, it always, when, I, when I first got on the fire department, it always blew me away that I would get a fire at three in the morning and roll up to the fire and there's a news van pulling up along with my fire truck. It's like, what the hell? Like, how does that, you know, how is that possible? But it was because they sit and yeah. monitor the scanners. So when the news media in, a, in, a, in an entire county that has six murders up to that point in 1993, it's not like it's a it's a, a real high crime area. I think there's a lot more drug issues than than violent crimes like murder. 
you know, they're, they're coming out there mm-hmm. and it's going to be a media circus. So at that point, like we need to solve this one. So then flip back to laziness. It's all about image. And then flip back to the laziness. Well, we got a guy. Let's just get him. And who cares if he's not the right guy? Because he's one of the poor black kids from the other side of the tracks. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just you saying that, man, and just sitting here thinking about it, it's just depressing. That sucks that that is the way that it has to be. It's infuriating. Yeah. It's frustrating as hell. Because it's just like, at least do your damn job. You know what I mean? Right. And and this was, you know, and I can go on for days about this. Look at the fucking crime scene. I mean, they, they go to the crime scene. They, you know, th- there's no tents. There's no scales. There's no crime scene photos uh, under the body. There's no, you know, there's all this evidence that they didn't write down in their notes. Probably half the hairs they found are probably Jason Waller's hairs. You know, I I don't know this for a fact, but given everything else, I'd be shocked if they were doing it properly wearing Tyvek suits and booties and hairnets and rubber gloves like they're supposed to when they go into a crime scene like that. They didn't give a shit, is my personal, humble opinion. Uh, that's, that's frustrating, man. It sucks. Um, you know, it sounds like you're at least trying, you're at least getting in the right direction. It's just still such a long road ahead of figuring out how to get an innocent man out of jail. You know, and, and getting justice for her, I mean, that's the big deal, is finding out who really did this. I have no doubt in my mind, Ed didn't do it. Right, and I'm the same way. I, so. I, I, can, I can tell you, in my heart and mind, with 100% assurity, it wasn't Ed. If Elnora's family, which I don't know because I can't find them or get a hold of them, but if they are aware of what I'm doing, it's got to be gut-wrenching for them that somebody's digging up this old case and they're trying to get the guy out of prison that they think killed their mother. It's Mm -hmm. like at the end of the day, I want to be able to show them, I did this for your mother and here's the person that actually did it. Let's let them pay for it and let this guy go back to his wife and his kids. Well. Hopefully, hopefully we're able to all work together and figure that out. I mean, that's the big thing because in the long run, there may be some pain involved in it, but it's the right thing to do, you know? Yeah, I agree. And you know what they say, 200,000 minds are better than one. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Keep up what you're doing, brother. You're doing a great job. I love the feel. And, and I got to say, you know, props with you adding on, Mike. You guys are doing a great job with the feel of the show, how it's changed with him coming on and everything. Just the, the points you guys are hitting and everything. It's awesome. You guys are doing a great job on everything. Well, thanks so much, Chris. And hey, man, it was great to hear from you. And I promise I will get back. Hey, <laughs> I'm going to be in Dallas in January. I'll get in touch with you. Maybe maybe we'll we'll sit down over a beer and discuss the whole website thing. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. I'm I'm full time back here in DFW now. I'm not up, up in Oklahoma, so cool. I'm more than happy to meet up whenever you get here. All right, man. Sounds good. Great to hear from you, Chris. All right. Have a good one. You too. All right, well, that's it for the calls for tonight. I want to thank all of you, as always, for calling in. And as I always say, I love hearing from all of you. And if you have something you want to say, even if it's not about the episode that we just discussed, feel free to call in. I just love hearing from all of you, and I know that we cover a lot of ground very quickly. So even if you have a question for something a couple of months ago or a comment, I'd love to hear from you. Don't forget that we only have one more follow-up episode for this year, and we're going to record that next Tuesday night the 20th of December at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that'll be the follow-up for this Sunday's episode, episode 247. And don't forget, Chief, that we have no idea what that episode's going to be about. Right, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, we don't know when we're going to get this open records request back. I'm hoping it gets back soon enough that we can cover some more content in the investigation. But if not, we'll still have a show for you on Sunday. And at least for all of you who are listening to the follow-up episodes, this gives you a little insight as to how things work here sometimes. We're, we're kind of always under the gun. Yeah, it's becoming a trend. 
Yep, just like the David Dobbs interview, which, by the way, several people were asking about that, too. I haven't heard from Mr. Dobbs in about two weeks, and I'm done emailing him. So there's not going to be an interview with David Dobbs unless he emails me and tells me he's ready to do it. The last thing that he told me was, I promise I'll get to this eventually, and I'm done being jacked around. So I'm not even attempting to deal with it anymore. But aside from that, I want to thank all of you for participating, and we'll talk to you again next week. Truth and Justice is a production of New Beginning Incorporated. Our executive producer is Mike Bussing. Our intro music was To the Top by Score Squad. All other music was created by Shane Yoder. I want to thank Tate Krupa for designing and creating our logo. I want to thank Sarah Mueller, Sarah Hoyt, and Desiree Dunn for transcribing all of the episodes. And as always, a big thank you to all of you for all of your support and all of your engagement in this process. So keep it up. Keep sending those thoughts, theories, and ideas into theories at truthandjusticepod.com. Send those new cases into cases at truthandjusticepod.com. Like the Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.